Our second scripture reading comes to us from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9, verses 10 through 19. It continues the story that we just heard. Listen now for what the Spirit has to say to the people. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to to him in a vision, Ananias... And Ananias answered, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to a street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so Ananias went and entered the house. And he laid his hands on Saul and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. And then he got up, and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Reveal, O God, your wonder to our eyes. Open our hearts to Christ's love. Disperse from our minds any darkness and fill our lives with your light. Protect us, O God, from thoughts without action. Guard us from words without life. Grant us wisdom to walk in your ways and open us always to the guiding of your spirit. Amen. In 1969, the schools in Charlotte, North Carolina, were illegally segregated. And for African-American students, this meant that music education was difficult to access if it was available at all. And at the time, First Presbyterian Church of Charlotte, North Carolina, had 15 unused pianos in its basement. The organist and choir director there was a man named Henry Bridges. Discovering these 15 pianos became an opportunity for teaching music. It started with 20 second and third grade students. There was no cost for playing the piano with Bridges, for learning with him, other than the desire to learn. 
And these 15 forgotten pianos eventually became a large music school that still operates today, now called the Community School of the Arts. And its mission is to transform lives and inspire community through excellent and accessible arts education. The school provides the same opportunity for all students, regardless of the ability to afford the lessons. But my question is, how did 15 pianos become a large music school whose vision of the world humanizes and equalizes relationships within a community? It was the imagination of a person. It was seeing what a dusty and ignored piano might become. It was a vision of who might sit at the piano bench and play when there was no one to do so. And when Bridges died about a month ago, retired pastor Reverend William Wood remembered him saying, he was gentle and kind. He heard a different kind of music in his head. And that different music was a sign of a different kind of imagination. In 1982, in an interview with the Charlotte Observer, Bridges, this organist and music director, told them that as long as one is alive, one is becoming. But what is becoming? One is becoming what one might imagine. One is becoming more and more through their life what God has imagined. And through the season of Easter, we are reading scriptures from the Acts of the Apostles. And we're reading them with an eye for learning about the early church how it became the church, and by doing this, we are seeking ancient wisdom for what it means to be the 21st century church. That is to say, what we as the church are becoming. Last week, we read from Acts in the first chapter about the ascension of Jesus and considered what it means for us to be witnesses to God's story, for the church to give witness. And sharing these stories, we share in the ways that God is active in our own lives. Sharing these stories, share the, way, the ways that God is alive in the church and the faith community, but we also share ways that God is alive in our city and in the world. And if telling stories about the ways that we experience God is vital for a community of faith, if the call to be witnesses is so essential to being the church, I'm curious to ask what comes next. I want to suggest that what comes next is vision. The ability to see. As we tell our stories of faith, as we give witness to the ways that God is alive, our lives begin to take a shape and shape our own vision to look more like God's vision. And in a postmodern world, 
we can ask ourselves, how do such stories resonate with people? In what circumstances would a story about God changing a life gather the attention of people who seem to have better things to do? What does it mean that God chooses to pitch God's tent right here in our own neighborhood and all kinds of neighborhoods around the world? Another way to ask this question, a theological way, is how does resurrection take shape in the lives of people? How does God's grace and our lives of faith become relatable? The answer to many of these questions begin, I would say, with imagination. We need imagination. The stories we tell connect with our identities because of imagination. And faith takes action when people have imagination. The church sheds its reputation as simply being a building for its reality as a community when people of faith engage their faith with imagination. Imagination is a vital characteristic of who we are as people, from children to adults. But before vision takes root, before people take action, before people know who they are, imaginations come alive. And imagination does not simply magically appear, though. It's cultivated. And Saul's conversion story illustrates this. Saul, who eventually would become known as Paul, the dangerous persecutor of followers of the way, that is, people who follow Jesus, Saul goes through a dramatic conversion experience to become Paul, the unexpected disciple of God. Now Saul's conversion is dramatic. God approaches Saul to ask why he persecutes God by persecuting Jesus' followers. And then there is a bright light, there is the voice of God, and he goes blind. He cannot see. He loses vision, though one might argue he had already lost vision. But Saul's conversion is not complete. This transformation requires the conversion of another person, a man named Ananias. His is a different kind of conversion. God gives Ananias a vision to go and meet a person named Saul. But Ananias has heard about this man. He's not so sure because he knows his violent reputation. But the Lord compels Ananias, and he goes. And when these two meet, Ananias explains his purpose in visiting Saul, and something dramatic happens. Saul is filled with the Holy Spirit, and something like scales fall from Saul's eyes, and he can see again. He gains vision. He is a person of spirit, a person of God. 
What is so remarkable about this story is that in order for Saul to see, in order for Saul to see the work that he's called to, it requires Ananias to go and see Saul in a new way. Ananias needed needed to let go of what he thought he knew. He needed to let go of his preconceived notions so that he could discover what God is doing in the world, is going to do in the world through Saul. A writer named Willie James Jennings relates Ananias' experience to our own, saying that the visions that God gives are less about what we can capture in sight and sound and more about being captured, being drawn in by the guiding hand of the Holy Spirit. In order for a new vision of the world to be seen, a new imagination needs to be embraced. And so it is for a world where people might hope for new possibilities, new connections, new ways to live. If there is a lesson for the 21st century church from Saul's conversion, I think it is this, that the church does not need to be burdened by phrases and perspectives like this is the way things are, or that is the way it has always been done. Applied to our scripture text, phrases like this would suggest that Saul will always be violent, that the world cannot be different than the way it is. And if the church, as the church, if if we ever feel like this is the case, we can remember that God gave Saul and Ananias an imagination to see differently. And this, too, is a gift from God for the church. God prepares us to imagine God's vision for the world by listening to God's spirit, by being attentive to one another in community, by embodying God's love to our neighbors. The church, the church is able to imagine what God's dream for the world might just look like. But the ongoing conversion of the church, like Saul or like Ananias, it involves being willing to imagine something different. Imagine a different world than the one we might currently know, a life-giving world or something deeper in its connection, something that relates to us and to one another more fully. And now before I get accused of becoming idealistic, I would like to suggest that living into a new way of being or being drawn in by the Spirit is a process. It requires waiting. Saul 
and his conversion was not an immediate process. He needed the right connection, and he needed to wait for it. He needed a new relationship. And the church can experience God by attention to ideas and experiences and people that open our imaginations. But that might require waiting and searching for the right connection, the right relationship, the right idea. What the church imagines might bring these new relationships, though, or it might bring people who are willing to take risks that were never imagined before. Or people might show up who never thought of showing up, and people might rediscover the ways that we can share our gifts, the ways that they might share assistance, or their presence, or their friendship, or teaching, or music, whatever it is that they might bring, they might learn to offer in new and faithful ways. Now, on most days, 15 pianos will look just like 15 pianos. But listen for the Spirit to bring one's faith and imagination. 15 pianos might begin to look like a music school. I wonder what a church could do with a garden or a parking lot, or a gym, or locker rooms, or a large kitchen, or a few teachers, a team of engineers, a crew of retired lawyers, a few vacant lots, an abandoned storefront, or who knows what we haven't even thought of yet. I'm sure there's a lot we haven't thought of yet. And like the church in Acts, I trust that the Spirit is guiding us to a time when we might awaken to something that we have never imagined before. I trust it is so. I hope it is so. And I give thanks to God that it is so. Thanks be to God. Amen.